If you'd like to join me, um, we're going to return to the book of Proverbs this morning, Proverbs chapter 30. Some of you might have come this morning expecting Michael to be preaching, and we had a few things that happened this week that, that turned our schedule a little bit around the other direction, so you're, you're stuck with me again. And um, we're going to finish up what we started last week, and hopefully the Lord will bless you in, uh, in your understanding of His Word and also grow you in wisdom and grow you in, in learning so that we can be the people that God wants us to be, we can honor Him, glorify Him in all of the things that we say and do. So we're back to the book of Proverbs. This is the book of wisdom. Um, we learned last week that Proverbs is a number of different short, pithy statements, um, wisdom statements, statements that kind of catch your attention. And in our specific context, the writer of Proverbs is using small things, insignificant things, to teach us wisdom and to show us some things, some principles that we can learn in life and we can apply to ourselves. It's so interesting because the writer of Proverbs, in, in this case, Agur, he goes to some really, really small, insignificant things to show us some really neat uh, truths about how to live life. And I, I don't know about you, but... Sometimes I guess I'm, I'm, I have enough problem focusing on the big things in life that I don't have the time to meditate on the little things in life. And yet there's wisdom here to be had by looking at ants and looking at different animals. God is teaching us stuff. This is what we would call a general revelation. It's God revealing himself to us through what he has created. And God, in all of the things that God has created, there's something about himself being presented to us. There's something about himself that he's saying to us so that we can learn and we can grow and we can make application to how we live our lives. Now, Romans 1 is a great passage of scripture that talks about this in detail, how that the the glory of God and the power of God is revealed to us in, in nature and in creation, yet man resists that and makes himself into an idol or makes things into idols and does not glorify God, but instead glorifies the creature which God has created. We learned as well last week, and I think it's important to remind us that these small lessons or these lessons that are presented to us in small things are only received by humble people. And small things teach small people big lessons. Small things teach small people big lessons. But small things don't teach big people anything. In other words, if you're full of yourself, you'll never get, you'll never grasp what God has has given to us in just the very, very simple little things in life. You'll, you'll miss all that God has for you in the simplicity of life because you live, in, the, you, you live in, a, in a realm that causes you not to grasp the things of God. Again, Romans 1 gives us a beautiful picture of this. The wisdom of the world. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 tells us the same thing. That God will... God will save the world through the simplicity of preaching, and he will destroy the wisdom of the world. 
So God teaches us small, God uses small things to, see, to teach small people big truths. And the way that we learn those truths is by being, when I, when I talk about uh, a small people, I'm just referring to the fact that we are a humble people. We're a humble people. We're a people that are patient, discerning, and submissive. And we're the only ones that those who are patient, uh, humble, submissive, and discerning are the only ones that are going to get it. The Proverbs is full of that type of teaching. Listen, hear what's being said. Not just hear what's being said in the big things, but, but hear what the ant is saying. Hear what the rock badger is saying. Hear all of these things, but you, you can't hear them if you don't have a humble, listening, submissive heart. As a matter of fact, pride and rebellion will cause you to never get the truth of God's word. You will live in a realm, as Matthew 13 says, where righteous, righteous men, or um, I'm going to turn there because I, I, wanna, I, I don't want to miss the terminology or mess the terminology up. In Matthew 13, it says, um, let's see here. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they do not see it, and to hear what you hear, but they do not hear it. In other words, those that are non-submissive, those that have a rebellious heart, those that are seeking intellect alone will not get the, the, the little things, the, the little truths that God is trying to teach. We see this in the parables in the, in the New Testament. The Lord talks about considering the plant seed, the, 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 uh, the smallest of plant seeds. He takes the smallest of plant seeds and he says, look at the smallest of plant seeds and know that that's what faith is like. He says, look at the smallest of plant seeds and he says, that's what the gospel is like. Look at the plant seed in 1 Corinthians 15 and know that that's what life after death is like when you plant the seed into the ground, that it, it doesn't spring, the seed doesn't spring forth or be fruitful until it's been buried. In other words, our most fruitfulness, like Christ, Christ's most, most fruitful ministry was not before his death, but Christ's most fruitful ministry was, was after his death. Consider the soil and the heart. Consider fruit as a result of the seed in the soil. Consider the lilies of the field and compare them to God's provision. Consider the birds of the air and how they are clothed and compare them to God's provision. Consider the sands of the sea and know that that is the number of Abraham's seed or of God's people. Consider the storms of life, the waves, as being a part of revealing God's judgment and God's wrath. In each one of these situations, we're called to study. We're called to be diligent. We're called to be humble and focused on seeing the spiritual truths, the, 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 um, the deeper truths behind the things that we see and experience. Listen, folks, it's so important that we don't just look at life from a, from a, a physical perspective. There's spiritual truths being presented in front of us every day with everything that we're experiencing. If we fail to see those things, if we fail to see what God is doing in those things, we'll miss the entire purpose of them and we'll face them over and over and over again and they will become bigger and bigger and bigger because why? Because the purpose of them is to get our attention. 
The purpose of them is not the storm. The purpose of them is God getting our attention in the storm. But if God doesn't get our attention in the storm, if we just sit there and evaluate the storm, oh, wow, that's loud thunder. That's the loudest thunder I've ever heard before. That's some really neat lightning. I don't think I've ever seen a flash like that before. If we, if we simply make it into the physical, we will face that same storm next week. And God will one day say to us, and we'll one day hear him in humility, he'll say, all of that was meant to get you. But yet you only saw the physical in it. All of these things in Scripture, and I just mentioned a few of these things, but, but literally the Scripture is replete with stories and analogies um, parables, narratives, not so that we can become intellectual about these things, but so that we can be gotten by the Lord, so that we can see the spiritual truths that are, that are saturating all of these little stories and analogies. He even says in Matthew 13, the reason why he speaks in parables and analogies is so that the proud person, get this, he says, the reason why I speak in parables and analogies is so that the proud person won't get it. That's why he does it. When Jesus talks about throwing seed onto the ground, the proud person says, hey, you know what? That's a pretty good business idea there. That's a great business plan. I think I'll apply that to my business. And they will miss completely what God has for them in the spiritual truth behind that simple truth. We have to study and have spiritual minds and have a spiritual perspective on life so that we can see what God means in the little things. In the little, 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 little things. And that's why he does what he does. 2 Timothy 2.15, you're familiar with the verse that says, do your best to present yourself. Some versions say study to present yourself, but do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Study. It's work. It's diligence. Not just in the word of God and knowing the word of God, but it's studying what God has made and what God has placed in front of us so that we can know him richly. We can know him fully and we can follow him intimately, have a relationship with him. Imagine if you had a relationship with somebody that was just always surfacey. You, you never really got to know them for who they really were. You never got to know the depths of who they were. That relationship isn't going to ever be strong. It really won't, won't even be real. But you start, to, you start to dive deeper and you start to figure out what, what they mean by this and why they act like this and why they do this, right? It's a, it's a husband and a wife. You start to figure out, oh, okay, that's why she is the way that she is. And you go deeper. And the Lord tells us about ants and rock badgers, and he's teaching us truths that are spiritual truths. He's giving us something that we need to live life, not for our glory, but for God's glory. And yes, it is for our good, but it's for his glory. Proverbs 30 the Lord focuses on these four things, and I want to just give them to you and give you some simple thoughts uh, what I would call some spiritual truths that God is, is telling us from these four uh, creatures. He says in verse 24, Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. In other words, they have great wisdom to give to us. 
They have great wisdom to give to us. He talks, first of all, of the ant. He says, the ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. And you'll notice, I talked about this last week, you'll notice the terminology that he uses. The ants are a people. Immediately, he's transforming, you're transferring your, or connecting your thinking to the ant, which is the creature, to people. He wants you to see this connection that he's making. It's not just about studying ants, but he is saying there is wisdom for mankind to be had through the ant. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badger are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet they all, yet they, yet all of them march in rank. And the lizards, the lizard you can take in your hand, yet it is in king's palaces. So I want to just consider those four creatures this morning and learn some biblical truths from them. Number one, let's consider the ant. The Bible here refers to the ant as small in size, small in strength, and small in ability. It says that the ant is not strong. So whatever it's about to tell us about his wisdom, okay, I want you to think about this with me. Whatever it's about to tell us about the ant's use of wisdom is meant for us to understand that his wisdom is a direct contrast to his weakness. In other words, the, the ant has a weakness that he cannot overcome on his own. There's something about the ant that he has no ability to overcome, and that is, is that he is weak. He has no strength of his own. So therefore, in, 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 in the only way that the ant can overcome his weakness is by using what? By using wisdom. The ant has to overcome his weakness by using wisdom. And the ant's wisdom, so it says here, it says the ant is not strong. He is weak, or he's a people that's not strong. And we could all put ourselves in that boat, right? We're all sinners. We've all, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every man to his own way. We have no ability to restore ourselves back into a proper relationship with God. We have no ability to do anything that's going to make things right with God on our own merits. So we put ourselves in that position and we see, okay, I am without strength. I am weak. I do not have the ability to accomplish or to survive in the world that I live. In the same way that the ant is small, we are small, incapable of surviving in the world, in this world, without the use of, without the use of wisdom. Wisdom is the only hope that an ant has to survive in the world that it lives in. So what does it do? It says they provide food in the summer. So the ant's wisdom is to be active in, first of all, knowing what season that they're in, discerning the season. So the ant knows what season it's in, whether it's in summer, winter, spring, or fall. Okay, He knows his season. He discerns what season he's in in his, 
in, in his life, in his structure of life. He discerns the season that he is in. Now think about this with me for a moment. If an ant decides for one year, he says, you know what, I, think, I don't think I'm really in summer right now. I think I'm in another season, so I'm going to just relax and put my, put my hair back and just kind of hang out. And, and when summer gets here, I'll, I'll do that. And he, he misdiscerns what season he's in. What is going to happen to that ant when winter comes? Will the ant make it through the winter if he hasn't discerned what season he's in? He will not make it through the winter. And the winter of life is just the difficult times. It's the challenging times. It's the times where you face health issues or financial issues or family issues or relational issues or fear issues. It's, it's those moments that we face uh, the most challenges, those are our wintry moments. The issue is if the, the ant doesn't, doesn't even get to the wintry moments if he hasn't prepared for the wintry moments. He has to know where he's at in life. He has to know where he's at, what season it is in his life in order to prepare for what is coming in his life. We have many different seasons in our life. And I just mentioned to you a few of them. We have many seasons in our lives. We have seasons in our life spiritually as well. We have to be like the ant. We have to be able to discern what season of life we're in. If we're in the summer of life, if things are, are, are going well, uh, it, you know, it's nice out, whatever it might be, we have to be discerning enough to know that so that we prepare for when winter is going to come, when the, when the trials are going to come, when the difficulties are, are going to come. It's important to discern what season of life you are in physically and spiritually to know what to expect and to embrace the wisdom that is in that season. One of the, one of the challenges that we face as Christians is, is we don't discern the season and so we complain as if we think it's a different season. In other words, we're in the winter of life and we're complaining because the winter of life is cold. There's snow on the ground in the winter of life. There's difficulty in life in the winter of life. If you think it's summer, you're going to complain more because there's snow on the ground. And it's supposed to be, in your mind, summer. It's so important that we discern what season that we're in so that we're not surprised, we're not fearful, and we're not frustrated. Remember this. The reason why the Jews rejected the Messiah, and we see this in the book of Hebrews, the reason why the Jews rejected the Messiah is because they did not discern what season it was. They were asleep when the Messiah came spiritually, and they did not discern that this was their time, this was their opportunity. Folks, my fear for us is that we might be in the same boat as the Jewish people, not discerning that this is our time, that the, the Lord is going to return very soon, and if we're not careful, we'll be asleep, or we'll be blind to the season of, of spiritual life or the season of life itself, and He will return and the Bible says that, that he will take his people home, but those who are not believers, those who are not in the faith, will not experience that blessing. Matthew 24, the story of the unfaithful servant. The master tarries for a long period of time, and so the unfaithful servant begins to, to the Bible says he begins to party and get drunk and just live life to the fullest for self. And then the master returns 
And the master says, you are an unfaithful servant. Remember this. He was a servant. He was in the house. He was everything looked right. But he was living for self and flesh and self-gratification. And the Lord says that he was going to cast him into outer darkness. We've got, to, we've got to know what season we're in. The Bible, I think, is clear that we're in the last days. Uh, First Timothy, or 2 Timothy 3, it gives us a list. Lovers of yourself, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, selfish, unthankful, unholy. Man, that is us. That is the world that we live in today. We shouldn't be surprised that, that there's judgment that is coming on our culture. We shouldn't be surprised of that. that we should expect it. We're in the last days. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us the U.S. believers are not, should not be surprised at these things because you're not in darkness, but you're in the light. We need a discernment for the season like the ant knows what season it is. But not only that, the ant has discipline for the season. The ant knows what to do in that season. He doesn't just know it's summer. He knows that summer means what? It means laying up. It means preparing for winter. It's not just that he knows what season it is. He works diligently to make sure that when that season ends, he's ready for the next season. Again, an ant that, that does not discern that it's summer will die in winter. And so somebody who makes a confession or a profession of faith who does not prepare in the summer will also spiritually die in the winter. This is what Hebrews is all about. It's about falling away when things get difficult and things get trying. It's about falling away. And Hebrews is written to a people, don't fall away. You say, well, Pastor John, you can't fall away if you're a Christian. Yeah, you know something? I agree with you. But the writers of Hebrews knew that too. And he still says, don't fall away. There's warning all throughout Scripture. Don't fall away. Don't fall away. Written to professing Christians. We can never take it for granted if we're not walking with Christ that somehow we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna slip in to eternal life. We not only need to know the seasons like the ant, but we need to know what to do in those seasons. If a person doesn't prepare in the time of ease, they will not make it through difficulty. If an army does not prepare in the time of peace, they will not make it through war. And if a Christian doesn't grow in times of spiritual ease, they will not make it through times of persecution. Knowing what season it is should cultivate for us wise and discerning actions. Two dangers regarding seasons. I'm going to give you these and move on. First of all, a lack of discernment keeps us from knowing the seasons or a lack of discipline keeps us from doing right in the season. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, that now is the day, now is the time, today is the accepted time to be saved for salvation. Now is the time, now is the season for salvation. Lord, help those who wait until the last moment, like the thief on the cross. Pastor John, I'll get it all straightened out when I'm on my deathbed. No one knows when you're going to be on your deathbed, and the reality of it is, folks, nobody knows that we're going to even make it to our deathbed, and Christ isn't going to return before that. That's the season that we're in. 
We've got to see that. We've got to see and know that. So he says, consider the ant. Know what season it is. Be discerning about what season you are and what season we are in in this world. And quit, listen, folks, quit being surprised at difficulty. It's been prophesied. It's been warned to us. When the, 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 every day that goes by, the world is going to get more and more difficult to live in for Christians. Isn't that true? Like Darren said, can I get an amen? It's going to get harder. If we don't get that, if we don't understand that, we will, we will fight with all of our might to, to, to resist those things that the Lord has prophesied are going to take place. We become a resistance to God. We've got to know what season we're in. We're in the last days. Things are going to get horrible. Christians are not going to be loved. They're not going to be liked. They're not going to be alive, some of them, because of it. If we think what happened five or ten years ago when they beheaded Christians for not forsaking, the, the God, for not forsaking Christ is going to somehow get better, we are deceived. It's not going to get better. What it's going to do is it's going to spread, and it's going to come to our country. And we're going to fight and resist it happening to us to our own detriment. That's the danger of the whole thing is, is we are going to, if we're not careful, we're going to love something so much that we will forsake Christ for it. We shouldn't love anything more than we love Christ. Amen? We need to know what season it is. We need to know what, what to do in this season. I know this without a, without a shadow of a doubt that in five years it's going to be worse than it is today. And if I don't do something about it today to prepare myself and my family and this church, if I don't do something to make preparations for five years from now, then I am not walking in wisdom. True? We gotta, we've got to be preparing. Winter, winter is here, but I don't think the worst part is here yet. Consider number two, the, the rock badger. While the ant has little strength, the rock badger has no ability. Both of them must use wisdom to survive. The rock badger is simply a creature that is known for its inability to defend itself. It is a defenseless prey for both smaller um, animals and large birds who will sweep down and they will uh, grab the rock badger and they will take them and they will, they will eat them. The rock badger has no defense. Again, here we go. We have no defense. In the world that we live in, we have no defense. Self-righteousness, self-protection, self-provision, everything that, that has to do with self, is, although the world has deceived us into, is, into trusting those things, there is no protection that you can bring to yourself in the same way that the rock badger has no protection. He is a defenseless animal. But you know what he does? He runs into the rocks. He goes and he hides in the rocks. He finds a crevice. He finds a hole somewhere. He goes and hides in those rocks. And the rock badger becomes as strong as the rocks in which he is hiding. You see, the rock badger has no defense of his own, but he has a great defense because he finds his place of, of, of protection in something that is very, very powerful. The spiritual truth on this is very, very simple. It's not even difficult. We must recognize that we are defenseless. 
We have no power of our own to defend ourselves, to compete against the evils of this world, to compete against the devil. We have no, we have nothing that we can do to protect ourselves from the enemy. So what must we do? We must find a rock. We must find a rock that is more powerful than we are, and we must find our way into hiding in that rock. The rock badger teaches us the important lesson of accepting our own weakness. That is so, it, it, it makes, if the rock badger's like, okay, listen, I'm feeling really good about myself today. I think I'm going to go toe-to-toe with some of these animals that might want to get me. I think I might have a good day today and I might just win over them. The rock badger is not walking in wisdom, is he? Why? Because he, he has to know that he has no defenses. He has to accept that he has no strength at all to defend himself. And the moment he accepts that, then he begins to look for the defenses that are actually bigger than he is. That's us, isn't it? We wrestle every day. I mean, as Christian, I wrestle every day trying to convince myself that I have no strength of my own. I have no ability of my own. I can't defend myself in my own strength. But, but yet, I have a rock that is mightier than I. I have a, a safe place that is mightier than I. That rock badger's only hope is to hide, isn't it? It's to hide. You think, well, that's kind of wimpy. Listen to me, folks. Your only hope is to hide. Your only hope to escape the wrath of Almighty God is to hide. It's the only hope you have. But listen to me. It's a great hope. It's a sufficient hope. It's a significant hope. Why? Because the rock is Jesus. And Jesus Christ was was bruised for our iniquities. Our sins were laid upon him. He was sufficient for our sins. And when we go and we hide in the rock, we know that we have a sufficient strength that nothing can penetrate. Colossians 3 and verse 3 says, For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ. Our life is now hidden in Christ. I encourage you to look up Psalm 46 and Psalm 61, both of these great passages of Scripture, for us to know that our only hope in difficulty, our only hope in challenges of life, our only hope in things that cause us fear and things that cause us frustration is Christ. Folks, listen to me. There are so many counterfeits that the devil is throwing at you today to try to get you to trust in something other than Christ. They will all fail you in the end. They will all fail you in the end. But Jesus Christ will not fail you. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 4 that he is a high priest that has been tested by every test that we will ever face. But he did not fail. He won. And he says, and now we can come boldly into the throne of grace and find strength to help in times of need. My my friends, sometimes I wonder if Christ is not our hundredth option when it comes to finding strength to help in times of need. Why? Because the devil has given us so many alternatives that we believe are going to give us strength to help in times of need, and they will always fail you in the end. God, help us. We need to go to Christ. He is our only sufficient hope. Psalm 
121 and verse 1, it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who is who made heaven and earth. Like the rock badger, folks, we've got to find our hiding place. We've got to find the one that we can hide in and know that he is sufficient to the task. And there is no one that is sufficient to the, to the task other than the one who is the rock, and that is Jesus Christ. Number three, consider the locust. The locust, the Bible says in our text, the locust has no king, yet all of them march in rank. There's a few things in this verse that are important to this. The fact that they have no king means that they have no notable leader. It doesn't mean that they don't have a leader. They have no, it's not like they had a voting contest and they put a locust in the, in the front and made him a leader. It's a natural process that takes place. What the locust knows is this. The locust knows that, and the locust, note this, the locust is about, now we've gone from, from ability to um, discern, know the seasons, and then to protect ourselves, but now we're in the mode of attack. Now we're moving forward. Now we're not just playing defense. Remember this, Matthew 16 and verse 18, the Bible says that the church will, that the devil will, the, the uh, um, upon this rock, I'm just going to quote it, <laughs> upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The emphasis is this, that the church is attacking the gates of hell. And we think that the church is on defense. The church, according to Jesus Christ, is not on defense. The church, according to Christ, is on offense. And the Bible says that the church is so powerful and, and so penetrating because of Christ that the gates of hell cannot stop it, cannot hinder it, cannot prevent it, prevent it from accomplishing what it needs to accomplish. Listen to me, folks. The church is the way in which Christ will defeat the devil. He has defeated him in the cross. He will ultimately defeat him. He will ultimately defeat the gates of hell, bringing people to Christ, seeing people saved. All of that will take place because of the church. But listen to me. Here's what we have to learn from the locust. The church does not accomplish what it needs to accomplish unless it does it in unity. The reason the world is attacking the unity of the church today is because the, the world knows that the only way for a locust to have any impact is that it comes in thousands. A locust by itself is insignificant. It's, it's powerless but yet at the same time, millions of locusts can join forces and they can fly in the sky and literally you, you can Google it online, you can see literally like a, the whole sky is just darkened by this mass of locusts. And they can fly down onto a field and they can have the an entire crop destroyed in a matter of moments. How do they do that? They do it because they come in scores. They do that because they come united. They have one single focus and every one of them has the same focus and they fly in perfect unity and they fly in perfect harmony, each one of them working to accomplish his purpose and, and, and what he is meant to do and, and they can wipe out things. Listen to me, church. This is how we will be victorious. 
This is how we will storm the gates of hell. This is how we will see people's souls saved and lives changed. It will not be by, by being divided. It will not be by being splintered. It will not be by being isolated. It will be by coming together as the church of Jesus Christ and storming the gates of hell in the person of Christ and in the power of Christ and watching him accomplish what he is going to accomplish anyway. I mean, it's, it's, it's like this, church. Christ is going to win. Amen? We can either get on board or get off board. And the way that we get on board is we unify. If you study the New Testament epistles, the Apostle Paul writes consistently about the power of the church being in the unity of the church. In the Old Testament, the, the Jews were powerful when they were united. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and Ephesians 4 are all about spiritual gifts. And what are the purpose of spiritual gifts? They're to unite the church. Why? So the church can be powerful. The church is not powerful when it's not together. It must be together and it must be united. Folks, this is why there's such an attack on the unity of the church today. This is why we can't have church in many places today. This is why only, uh, I have a friend that's in, that's in um, Canada. They can, they, he is told he can only have 15% of his church there. He refuses to submit to that. My, the church is the church, and he is in jail right now for that reason. And they told him, you can be dismissed from jail if you will not go to church, number one himself, and not have more than 15% of your body there. He says, that's not my church. Now, he can either say, you know, I, I love my freedom so much, I'm willing to do whatever. Or he can say, the church of God will invade the gates of hell when it's united and when it's together. This is what Scripture teaches us. How many of you think a body will function if your arm is here, your legs are over there, and your mouth is over there? It doesn't function very well if you're dislocated every part of your body. It functions when it's together. And that's why the Lord uses the body in the spiritual gifts to describe the church. I know I'm taking long. Forgive me. I'm going to finish up here with this last one. The consider the lizard. So the lizard is just teaching us how to win. The lizard, the Bible says, is small. He can take him up in his hand. The picture is this. A lizard, we have one in our house, so I got a little bit of a picture of it with, with our little lizard, Lila. Uh, you can take it up in your hand. It's gentle. It's, it, it doesn't cause any grief at all. We love that kind of an animal in our house, right? It's just the perfect little animal. But what he says is, he says, the, the lizard is one who can be taken up in your hand, meaning he's small and gentle, yet he ends up in the king's palace. Yet he ends up in the king's palace. In other words, what he says is this, what he's telling us is he's telling us how to win in the Christian life, how to, how to succeed in the Christian life. The world tells us, the world has its own plan and its own situation, which is, which is counteractive to what the Lord says about what the proper plan is to get ahead. He uses the lizard as an example because the lizard is calm. The lizard knows how to fit in. The lizard knows, he, he knows how to just, just move slowly through things. And, and he makes advancements, not by making a ruckus, but he makes advances by being simple, by being small, by being insignificant, by moving slowly. 
The Lord uses the lizard to show us that the path to the kingdom is paved by unorthodox means. The path to the kingdom is paved by unorthodox means. David was not a man who would have ever been expected to be king. Matter of fact, when they had the anointing ceremony, David was so insignificant that he wasn't even invited to it. That's an unorthodox thing, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 1, the same thing. All of the apostles were unorthodox men, fishermen, tax collectors, doctors, and, and others. They were unorthodox, yet God chose them, God trained them, and God promoted them into use in his kingdom. Remember this, the economy of God, the kingdom of God, is different from the economy of this world and the kingdom of this world. Matthew 5 talks about the kingdom of God is meant for those who are poor in spirit those who are hungry for righteousness, those who are meek and those who are kind and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's what the kingdom of God is, is about and that's what the kingdom of God is made for. That's unorthodox, isn't it? It's not normal. I talked a few weeks ago about for God's economy, living is dying, leading is serving, getting is giving, success is trusting, seeing is blindness, last is first. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says this, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means the weapons of our warfare are not physical. You can't win using physical warfare, to f using physical weapons to fight a spiritual battle. You can't. It's impossible. You can try all you want. And the world is trying it today. The world is trying everything in their power to, do, to win a spiritual war using physical means. Here's the problem is, first of all, the world hasn't accepted that they're in a, physical, a spiritual war. They just believe they're in a physical one. But listen to me, church. You know that this is a spiritual warfare. This is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities. We know that, so we should not be, we should not be using physical means to defeat spiritual wars. You can use them to fight them, but you'll never use them to defeat them. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not physical, but they are mighty. They are mighty. They are spiritual to the pulling down of strongholds. In conclusion, we must know that godly wisdom, remember this, we must know that godly wisdom is always for our good. He is never trying to hinder us. He is never trying to hold us back, but rather he is giving us a better way to live life. In many ways, the wisdom of Proverbs is like a father writing to their child, saying to them, this is the better way. Now, kids, whether you listen to it or not, when God gives us the wisdom, whether you listen to it or not, is your decision, and you'll face the consequences of whatever decision and whatever path you go down. But you can never say that you did not hear the wisdom from God's word to say this is the right path. Matter of fact, in the book of Ezekiel, the Lord says to Ezekiel, he says, Ezekiel, go and preach to the people. They will not hear you. Isn't that great? But he says this, they will never be able to say that there wasn't a prophet amongst them. They will not hear you, but they will never have an excuse again for what they do wrong because they have heard the truth. That's what Romans 1 says, they will be without excuse. Like the ant Know that you won't make it spiritually without discernment and discipline. 
Discernment to know what season you are in and discipline to know what to do in that season. And know this, this is the season of salvation. If you're not saved today, know this, this is the season of salvation. Surrender your heart to Christ. Give him yourself. Kneel down and make him, acknowledge him as your king and your Lord and your savior be saved today. This is the day. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. Like the, like the rock badger, accept that you are defenseless on your own. Hide yourself in the sufficiency and righteousness of Jesus Christ. He alone can save. If you're not a hiding person, become one. Because the only hope that you have and the only hope that I have is the rock that is greater than I, and that is Jesus. Like the locust, know that you are ineffective on your own. Do your best to resist the enemy's effort to divide his church, knowing that in division, the church becomes weak and it limits our influence. The greatest influence we have as a church is our unity and our single-mindedness. I tell you what, church, one of the greatest ways that the church is divided is it starts looking at the world and life through physical eyes. We will be perfectly unified if everybody sitting here begins to look at the world through the eyes of God. If we look at everything as having a spiritual meaning, a spiritual purpose, a spiritual lesson, everything is spiritual, the church all of a sudden no longer has division. Why do you think the devil attacks us there? The devil, is a, is a, the devil is more subtle than any beast of the field. Genesis 3. Like the lizard, know that the way into the kingdom is unorthodox. What the world tells you will lead to success is often what will hinder true spiritual success. To succeed in God's kingdom, you must learn to serve. You must be humble. You must not be self-promoting. You must not be self-sufficient. You must be weak. You must be incapable. You must be meek. You must learn to be persecuted. You must find refuge and hope in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone, and for the glory of God alone. The way into the kingdom is unorthodox, but my friend, it is utmost importance that you get there. I close with this. A scholar once said, a man's value is not determined by how many men he serves, but rather by how many men, or a man's value is not determined by how many men serve him, but rather by how many men he serves. It's a different path. It's a different way. But we must find our way there. Strive to enter in at the narrow gate. For broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be who find it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for simple wisdom. Lord, the wisdom of that which is tiny, a little ant we can learn from. And, and Lord, even, even smaller than that, we can, learn from, 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 we can learn from things that are so small that you can't see them with your eye. We can learn from all of these things, not, not physical lessons, Lord, but spiritual lessons. We can learn of your creation. We can learn of your 
goodness we can learn of so much about you if we just simply open up our spiritual eyes and close our physical ones. Lord, we walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, please help us today. Help us to embrace your truth. Help us to embrace your wisdom. Help us to live a life of selflessness in submission to your will and in faith in your son, Jesus Christ. And we'll give you the glory for it in his name. Amen.